Welcome to Sounding History, a podcast about music, history, climate change, and culture. I'm Chris Smith from Texas Tech University in the USA. And I'm Tom Irvine from the University of Southampton in the UK. This is a podcast about the global history of music with a twist. Our history is not shaped around famous performers, composers, and works, but rather as reflections upon the relationship between sound and the exploitation of Earth's resources. Today, scientists and historians alike argue that around the year 1500 of the Common Era, human extraction of natural resources began to change the climate itself. They call this new era the Anthropocene. With the Anthropocene came capitalism and the globalization of many aspects of human culture, along with settler colonialism, mass enslavement, and environmental destruction. We explore how processes like these have shaped 500 years of history and the worlds of sound we occupy today. Concentrating on three core categories, labor, energy, and data, we seek new, different, and challenging stories about music on a global scale. What shaped the world in which we find ourselves? Who are its many voices? We invite you to join us as we unpack why sound is, when, and for whom. So let's begin. So Chris, here we are in the first episode of our new podcast, and I get to ask the first question. What are we doing here? Well, we are sitting on two separate continents in two different time zones, kind of reconnecting with one another as friends and also as professional contemporaries, let's say, having known one another quite some time ago and gone off to do our own worlds of work and family. And now at this seemingly quite late date, from my perspective, we've kind of come back together with a project. And one of the purposes of the Sounding History podcast is to think through that project. So why don't we just say, Chris, we've known each other since the early 1990s, when we were graduate students together at Indiana University, out in the cornfields at the Indiana University School of Music. Seems like a long time ago and in a very in a very different place, also intellectually to where we are today, both of us. And I guess that journey is something that will come out in our work together. Fast forward to the book project. I remember when you reached out to me. I'd like to say you called me up, but we don't do that anymore. You reached out to me, it must have been in 2018, and you said, let's do something together. And I was very flattered. Oh, Chris Smith, that'll be fun. And then we talked through, I remember we had a Skype call. It was kind of before Zoom or anything. It was, it was Skype. We had a Skype call, and I can remember that. And we talked through some options. We were like, ah, should we do this? Should we do that? A lot of boring academic stuff. Yeah, and the first place we went, being rather boring academics who are trying to unlearn our ways, we thought, we should do a conference. And then we both sort of simultaneously said, no, I don't want to do a conference. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Not another conference. So, Which, is, which really kind of tells the whole story. And then we said, oh, we should do an edited volume. And then we went, no, let's... <laughs> and it's nothing against those very important professional apparatuses, of course, friends, for those among us, our listeners, who are involved in the world of academics. We are deeply embedded and we're not getting out anytime soon. And conferences can be wonderful. And that's where Tom and I would often run into each other, running between sessions or hanging out in the hotel bar. But we hadn't yet found... I'll call it a platform where we felt we could share our very different scholarly concentrations, but in an energized way that felt like a partnership that had some juice to it. 
Yeah, so we had to work a little bit on the vision part. And your professional life in normal circumstances brings you to this side of the Atlantic every now and then. And so I was fortunate to uh, have you come around to visit me here on the south coast of England. And we sort of ended up in a very interesting place, which we thought we would write a book together, which is unusual. So listeners inside academia will know that that's unusual in our field. Listeners outside of academia might not know that Chris and I are both in the humanities. And in the humanities, it's traditional to write your books by your lonesome. And lonesome is the word. And so we were back and forth on Skype. We were visiting with Tom and his family in the southwest of England. And uh, we had a lovely visit. And then there was one magical day. And that magical day really was completely triggered by wanting to spend time, all of us, with one another and to take advantage of the sense of landscape and history in the place that Tom lives. This is true, yeah. So I took I took Chris and Angie uh, to Mottisfont Abbey, which is a National Trust property near Southampton where I live, and it's uh, home to a UK National Rose collection. So it's it's actually, if you're interested in roses, it's where you have to go, and, and Angie's interested in roses. And so off we went, and Chris and I checked out the roses for a few minutes, and then, and then we made our way to the sort of tea shop, coffee shop of the National Trust property, which was very crowded, I remember. It's impossible to remember what a crowded coffee shop feels like. We could hardly hear each other, and we sat there with notebooks, like actual notebooks you write in with a pen, open, and started doing the, the table of contents for a quite, at the time, it seemed to me, very adventurous book about music and natural resources. I don't think we'd even come to the climate change part yet. And that's where it kind of started and it gathered a bit of momentum. Yeah, it did. And, you know, uh, listeners in whatever your professions, you'll know that when you have an idea that you share with someone and the other person becomes excited, there's tremendous energy that arises from that and you kind of psych each other up. The other thing I wanted to say about this is that Tom and I knew we got on with each other. We knew that we admired each other's work, but I'm a scholar primarily of new world musics, mostly vernacular musics, musics that are oral and oral tradition. Um, and so my expertise, the books that I've written, is very different than Tom's. Yeah, so I'm a scholar of Western art music. I had a very traditional training. I, I wrote my PhD thesis about one famous composer, uh, Mozart. You might have heard of him. Um, uh, and then I, I found gainful employment in the United Kingdom, and I've been on a bit of a journey since then in different ways. So I've been writing about global music history and soundscapes. Chris, you, I remember when you reached out to me, it was about the soundscapes. That's what That was your hook. Yeah, and it was great. And I was about to shout out Tom's book or books, and I will shout out them at other times as well. But he's got a wonderful book called Listening to China. And I thought, because I have worked a lot on the sound of new world vernacular music and street music, music that wasn't written down, I thought, holy cow, my friend Tom is writing about all the sound worlds that went into that encounter of the West sort of entering into engagement with China. And I thought, maybe what we share is an interest in historical soundscapes. And then we thought, where could we go with that? So uh, one good turn deserves another. Chris has written two splendid books. And the, the first book, The Creolization of American Culture, is a book that I teach out of very often. Whenever I teach jazz history, I always start with that book, actually, because it's a book that tells sort of a deep history of American, of American music. And what strikes me about Chris's work is in that book, he works very carefully with paintings by an American genre painter named William Sidney Mount. Ironically, William Sidney Mount is the hometown painter of where I grew up on Long Island, which is, which is itself a strange coincidence that Chris and I have been enjoying for a decade at least. 
Indeed, yes. Tom grew up in Setauket, Long Island. Stony Brook, Stony please. Brook, Stony excuse, Brook. Me, excuse me. In the vicinity of Setauket. And it's in Setauket that is housed the museum that, that has all of these paintings by William Sidney Mount. Um, what I think perhaps Tom hadn't remarked was that Stony Brook is also in very close proximity to a town called Smithtown, New York, which was founded by my first paternal ancestor in North America. So there's a very odd multi-century as well as multi-decade synchronicity and we're just trying to get hold of the reins of this collaboration and figure out where yes, we're trying to we're trying to ride that we're trying to <laughs> we're ride trying, that wave ride somehow. that bull yes so there we are in the cafe in Montesfont Abbey down the hill from the National Roses collection and we sketch out this book and both of us thought hey this is something we really ought to do and then I was traveling in the United States last year just before everything changed. I mean, literally just before. So we're talking about the late second half of February. Because of another project that I'm doing that uh, about jazz and artificial intelligence that uh, Chris has been advising me on in many useful ways, I was in the U.S. and I was able to visit Chris in Lubbock, Texas, uh, where Texas Tech is. And we found ourselves in yet another watering hole, this time a coffee shop whose name I cannot recall. J&B Coffee in Lubbock, Texas. And then we moved for actually from the writing it down in notebooks with pens to actually sitting across the, from the table, very, very up to date with laptops, both on the same Google Doc. And by the end of that period, we had a sense of a book we wanted to write about, well, as we said in the, in the opener, about the Anthropocene, about climate change, about the things that went with that. And we'll come to that in a minute about colonialism, imperialism, resource extraction, and how these processes, these historical processes, like really shape the sound world that we're in, such that the music that Chris has been working on has a lot more to do with the music that I've been working on than either of us thought. And I think that's sort of the basic premise. And and just to turn it around to like how we got here in our transatlantic studio, so we're speaking across some software right now, we got there because at some point someone had the idea, this book needs a podcast. And I guess that was kind of a natural one. And Chris will tell a little bit about this part of the story is that Chris and I have another shared backstory, which is we used to work together in public radio. And public radio for will be very familiar to, to listeners in the United States. If you're not from the United States and you're listen, listening to this, you may know that the U.S. does not have a centralized national broadcaster. But we do have a public radio infrastructure, but it is carried by local universities. And many universities have a, a small or even large radio station on their campus. And Indiana University had a large radio station, WFIU, Public Radio, 103.7. Is that right? Seven. Yeah. Yep. Um, and Chris, uh, Chris, when I arrived, uh, I, I arrived in Bloomington in the seven years after Chris did. And when I arrived, uh, I needed a job and I uh, auditioned to be a radio announcer. I had no experience of any kind, but I made it through this long test of reading ever more complicated Russian composer and a conductor names, Gennady Rodzdeshvensky, right? That was, the, that was the one that got me the job. And I found myself working with Chris, who was a few years ahead of me and whom I very much admired because he seemed to master this public radio thing very well. You had your own show already. And we worked together in a, t a very different time, like long before podcasts. And I do remember, though, if you'll permit me one more anecdote, I do remember standing in the studio one night when we were switching shifts and we were looking at the very, like it was a machine as tall as us that brought the satellite feeds in. And I remember very clearly you standing in front of it and saying to me, in the future, I understand, everybody's going to have one of these in their house. And they'll be able to choose between all the different 
things that are on the satellite unmediated by radio. And I thought, well, that's, you know, it must have been about 1992, three. And I thought, well, that's, gosh, what is future? So here we are, right? Yeah. Everybody has a studio in their house. And Chris and I are carrying around a little bit of a piece of radio experience. Uh, Chris more profoundly than I, but go ahead. Tell us what it's like to be a radio veteran in the in the world of podcasts. Yeah. As we both have discovered being old radio guys, it's not a radio station. It's not a radio program. It's something else. And there's something about podcasting that leads toward conversation and engagement and engagement, not just between the two blokes talking, as we describe it, but also between the listener and the people who engage with podcasts in all these different kinds of ways. I know that they are a tool of engaging with the world around you and not just on your treadmill or not just on a walk in the park, but as a way of finding voices of people with insights on topics about which you know you wish to know more. And that's really how I'm thinking about this podcast. What I found really useful in terms of the work we're doing together is that if I was trying to make a radio series off the back of this book, I would wait, right, until we'd written the book and published it, and then we would go out and get some sort of radio series to publicize it. But here, the podcast is actually moving together with the book. It's helping us think. It's literally helping us think. So much so that in the, just to share a bit about our process with the book, we're writing these small essays about particular moments, which we think are exemplary of how climate and culture and colonialism and music and sound and experience have interacted at particular historical times and places. We call them postcards because just as a rule of thumb for us, a shorthand term for us to say, how much insight can we build in this postcard into this larger mosaic of the 500-year history that we're seeking to tell? It's also been a project that's let us rethink about how we as academics engage with the world around us, especially in terms of public-facing scholarship. You know, we began the project before the lockdown. We're now at a different stage of the lockdown. We hope that the world will emerge. In my country, they're talking about building back. We have a new president, and the new president speaks about rebuilding our infrastructure, but also our social safety net. But I think it goes, for Tom and myself anyway, and as individuals, and I think this is a place that links us in terms of where we are in the particular arc of our respective academic careers. We don't, for speaking for myself, I don't just want to build back better. I want to build back differently. Yeah. We live in serious times, right? And there's no avoiding the fact that since uh, right after I returned from Lubbock, actually, uh, I returned to the United Kingdom on the 11th of March, 2020, and it was like I got off the plane and there was something completely different happening. And in the midst of all of this complete change of how we worked, Chris and I carved out uh, a couple of hours a week to work on this project, first on the book, and then we actually started recording episodes of the podcast, even before we really knew what structure we wanted. I think it's because we're old radio hands. We just like, you know, being in front of microphones. So we thought, let's just build a little studio in an, on our desk and see what we can do. I have to put a, have to put a picture of my setup on the on the website, right, like with the, with the pillows. Same here. I'll have to show the blankets covering the windows to keep out the sounds of the birds and the barking dogs. So here we are. And I think it was inevitable that we'd also start thinking about, like, when we come out of this, who are we speaking to, right? And what is the point of doing this at all in a situation where our particular field is under a lot of stress? drain from outside, but also from inside. Change, change is afoot. Yeah, and it's change at every level. 
obviously in terms of changing financial circumstances, changing health crises, changing political regimes, um, all kinds of transformations happening in the university. And I think another place that Tom and I are, are coming back together at this particular stage after our respective journeys is a place in which we want to use the resources that we have, the, let's say, institutional capital that we have in whatever shape that takes to hold space, to create space for voices and experiences which have been otherwise shut out of these worlds of discourse. If we're going to build back, I want to build back, but I want to build back differently. I want to make space for difficult questions. I want to make space for silenced voices. I want to use the resources whether it's a public radio voice or a desktop studio or books published or a particular rank, to make space for other people who have been shut out and other stories which have been silenced. In a later episode, we'll have to talk about you know global history, which is a trend that I have profited from, I have to say. I definitely hopped on that bandwagon just in time. Global history is about retelling stories that are familiar in different contexts and in different, at different scales. Right, And one of the things that happens if you open up the scale of the history that you're telling is there are a lot more people in it. And there's a big danger of kind of repeating forever the mistakes or the tragedy or the, the crime of colonialism, which is right that the global north and in particular its straight white male embodiment does all the talking all the time. And we're we both work in the global north and we're both straight white males, if you don't mind me saying that on, on the air here. But we're trying to make a project, to use Chris's phrase, to, that holds space for stories and tells them together, like juxtaposes some stories. So one of the things we're going to do, one, one you know, little um, coming attractions, you know, we're going to talk about Mozart and uh, his experience living very near the a war zone between uh, Austria and Turkey. And in the same episode, we're going to talk about Islamic soundscapes in contemporary Singapore. So these are stories we we don't think either one is actually ever, well, we don't think they've been told together. And even more importantly, I believe that these are stories that the two of us, neither one of us, could tell by himself. Like, I know the story that I want to tell about Singapore, but Tom works on soundscape in the Pacific Rim. And so all of a sudden, my capacity to engage with that is transformed. And Tom worked, Tom is a Mozart scholar, as he said, but because I have some experience with Turkish music and the historical encounter between Central Europe and the Ottoman Empire, we can enrich one another's understandings. And we hope that that enrichment extends outward and welcomes others in. So a listener might wonder, Chris, what has climate change got to do with the social justice part? I understand we're writing a book about history from below and we're trying to tell stories that haven't been heard yet, but how does climate and the history of human influence on the climate, how does that relate to our interest in telling this story of music and sound in a, in a more just way? One of the things that we wind up doing in our own work already and which we bring together in this partnership is an awareness of how much of the way that the 21st century post-industrial West operates based upon its histories. And its history is one of colonial occupation and imperial ambition and the extraction for profit 
of the rest of the world's resources. And that's one of the reasons why when we were sitting in the Rose Garden Cafe and we bashed out this idea for a book with Tom writing in his little moleskin notebook, being elbowed by people with their cups of tea and cakes, we arrived at the idea that if we wanted to talk about music's relationship with the structures of colonialism and imperialism, we could talk about resources and the extraction of resources of human labor, of fossil energy, and of data. Data as a resource is what brings us actually up to the end of the book, which is the present, the present day. So our hope for the podcast is that we can become a kind of launch pad for thinking about how humans engage with sound in the world. That for you, our listeners, maybe to think and hear the world a little bit differently for us as we write this book and also for uh, rethinking, right, what we mean about music history or music and history. Music in history. And about all the voices that are present and the many other voices that are absent from that history. And so one thing we really want to um, take advantage of in the medium that we're working in now, the podcast, is that we want to have give and take. I think we both independently noticed, and we're engaging more and more, each of us in our own spheres, with the world of podcasting. And there is a give and take in podcasting that is vital and it's immediate. And that give and take flows not just between Tom and myself, but it flows between us and the listeners and the listen, and it flows back from the listeners to us. Yeah. As we embark on this journey, we want you to help us navigate the story of humans and their histories and the natural world in sound. And to keep us on course, we want to hear what your ideas are, what your thoughts are, what your suggestions are, what your concerns are. It's a little bit like kind of crowdsourced peer review before the book's been written or what, you know, while it's happening. We want you to join us. You've been listening to Sounding History. Keep in touch. Whether you're a music lover, history enthusiast, student, or just plain interested, we'd love to hear what you think. Contact us at soundinghistorypodcast.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter and check out all the show notes. And follow us on Instagram at Sounding History Podcast and Twitter at Sounding History. We look forward to hearing your thoughts, questions, and suggestions. And if you like what we're doing, we'd so appreciate it if you'd leave us a review to help other folks find the show. And finally, if you're a new listener and want to learn more about who we are and the ongoing book project that inspired the podcast, check out episode one. Sounding History is funded by grants from the University of Southampton Faculty of the Arts and Humanities and by Texas Tech University. Production by Seedpod Sound at seedpodsound.com. In our next episode, Tom and I will talk about the idea of the Anthropocene and think about the sounds of the Black Atlantic, the economic triangle between Africa, the Americas, and Northern Europe. Tom will explore how the profits of enslavement underpinned much of cultural life in Europe in the 18th century, including parts of the careers of some famous composers, and I'll take us to the complex soundscape of a ball in colonial Jamaica around 1800. I'm Tom. And I'm Chris. Until next time.